Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon Wams here, one of my script writers, in this case, Ilza. Thank you, Ilza. Has written me a script, Rome's Lost Legion, Welcome to the Ninth, the format here. If you're new, I've never read this before. Uh, There's probably going to be a mystery. In this case, Welcome to the Ninth Legion. I have no idea. Um, I feel like I've made so many videos about Rome and Romans and all that shit over the years that I feel like I should definitely have heard of this, but I never have. Often these ones you're kind of vaguely familiar with, like decoding the unknown. Oh, it's a Loch Ness monster. There's like the Nazca lines, that kind of stuff. This one, I got no idea. Never even heard of it. Let's go. The year is 119 AD, the sky is overcast and grey, the mist still hugging the rolling green hills. It's been a long journey, but the legates, 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 I don't know, of the 6th Legion are grateful to finally reach the stone fortress of Eberacum, their new home. They've arrived with Emperor Hadrian to deal with some difficult Britons and build Hadrian's Wall. Oh, I have heard of that. Uh, the Great Divide that will impact the culture and politics of British arms for centuries to come. Exhausted but proud, they march into the fort to take their place in history. I realize at the beginning of this episode I said I never heard of this, but I get the feeling this is its sounding more familiar now. Was there a Roman legion in the UK that went missing? I get the feeling there might have been. Vague... If I am familiar with this, it is the most, in, in the most vaguest way. However, history has other plans. The Sixth may have served Emperor loyally, risked life and limb to protect Roman interests from the barbarian horde and no doubt had multiple victories. But when the fort at Eberachum, or York as it's known today, is mentioned, the Sixth is not the legion that comes to mind. Instead, it's the ghosts of the Ninth Legion Hispania, Rome's lost legion, which still grabs the imagination even today, almost 2,000 years after their disappearance. They're not grabbing my imagination, I've never heard of them. I've been to York. This is very far away. I mean, York's pretty pretty far from where I was, you know, grew up, but it's still like, the UK's a small place. I've been to York probably more than once, and I've never heard of this. It hasn't been tickling my imagination. It's also got ghosts, so I probably saw it and then immediately tuned out because I'm like, <laughs> I was hoping for non-fiction today, <laughs> not ghost stories. The question of what happened to the Ninth Legion is an archaeological conundrum that's been around since the 1730s, but it was only in 1854 that some trace of the Ninth was discovered. While digging a drain, workmen in the city of York came across a stone slab about a meter square carrying a Roman inscription. The slab was from the Roman legionary fortress at Eberachum, dated 108 AD, a time when the Roman army was rebuilding its original timber forts and defenses into more sturdy and defensible stone structures. The stone was found close to the original southeast gate to the fortress and most likely refers to the construction of the gateway by the Ninth Legion under Emperor Trajan. This is the last mention of the Ninth Legion of Spain in historical records in 165 AD, a document listing all the legions of the Roman army was drafted in Rome. The Ninth did not make it onto this list. Somewhere between 108 AD and 165 AD, the Ninth Legion of Spain, a favorite of Julius Caesar himself, simply disappeared. There are many theories regarding the final fate of the Lost Legion, but so far no one has been able to answer just one very simple question. What happened to the Ninth Legion? How big is a legion? 
I'm really like, how many people, let's just have a quick goo. I'm sure Ilza will tell us in a second, but I really got to know. How many soldiers? Why is soldiers so hard to spell? I've spelt it solidieres. <laughs> it looks kind of Spanish. Uh, Google will know best. The legion evolved from about 3,000 men in the Roman Republic to over 5,200 men in the Roman Empire. Given that we're in England, it's definitely Roman Empire days. So that's a lot of people to just go missing. Over 5,000. Mm. Who was the Ninth Legion? The Knights Legion has a rather interesting and somewhat eventful history, and at one point they were considered one of the best, which might be part of the reason they ended up where they did. You're not going to post a legion with a bad reputation to a highly unstable region. There's some disagreement, because it wouldn't be an interesting story if there wasn't, but most accounts seem to consider the Knights as the guys you called when you found yourself in a really tight spot. Their history is not entirely unblemished, though, so they're like the special forces of ancient Rome. The Navy Seals. We're not entirely sure when the Ninth Legion was established, but they did make an appearance at the Siege of Asculum during the social war between the Roman Republic and some of its Italian allies, which happened between 91 and 87 BC, so we know the Legion had been established sometime before that. Never heard of that. Sometimes I want, like, I don't know, I have to say, like, I've made so many Rome videos about Romans and stuff that I'm reading those, you know, sometimes, especially for the biographics channel. It's like, oh, another Roman emperor, huh? And it's like, it's in the eyes and out the mouth because I'm just, like, so tuned out to it. I never found ancient Rome particularly interesting, uh, but people really do. So, because, you know, my capitalist heart beats, <laughs> I make those videos about ancient Rome. And I mean, yeah, I get it, but it's just a lot of the same over and over again, and power struggles and blah, blah. I don't know. It never really struck my interest particularly. <laughs> Simon, you're so creatively bankrupt, Jesus. <laughs> oh, but, you know, those videos allow me to make more channels like this, which is uh, more interesting to me. I'm rich. And I grow richer every day of my life. When Julius Caesar became governor of Cisalpine in Gaul, the Ninth was one of four legions that he inherited, and by all accounts, one of his favorites, as they served him loyally in the Gallic Wars and in the civil war against Pompeii. While loyally for the most part, there was one incident with mutiny while stationed at Placentia in northern Italy that almost ended the story of the Ninth then and there. However, after much begging and the death sentences of the twelve ringleaders, the legion was forgiven and taken back into the fold. Caesar himself disbanded the legion after their final victory in the African campaign in around 45 BC. The veterans received a good pension and were settled in Italy, presumably as a reward for exceptional service. I have to say, like, mutiny is all those things where it's like, if you're the emperor or whatever, this was like, the, this was Rome. You gotta be really wary about that shit because they were, you know, they're always looking to overthrow and establish a democracy or a republic or a new emperor or the emperor's looking to kill you or you're looking to kill the It's always going down. If my if one of my legions was like rising up against me, I'd be like, how many people in that legion? Five thousand? Can we spare them? I'd be like, yes, Emperor, we can spare them. Execute them all. But it was just twelve ringleaders. And I'd just be like, fing send a message. <laughs> God, I'd be a monster if given any power. <laughs> Execute them all. What method of execution? Crucifixion, of course! <laughs>
Unfortunately, this piece was not to last. Octavian, better known as Emperor Augustus, recalled the veterans of the 9th to first deal with a rebellion led by Sextus Pompeius in Sicily and later in his war against Mark Antony around 31 BC. In 27-19 AD, the 9th served in the Cantabrian Wars in Hispania, where they distinguished themselves and from then on carry the name the 9th Legion Hispania. However, Hispania, Hispania? Oh my god, I don't care. However, it was round about this time when the ninth found themselves embroiled in yet another mutiny. Oh, mutiny once, fool on me, mutiny twice, everyone gets crucified. You know the saying. Have you ever seen anyone crucified? In 14 AD, after the death of Augustus and the ascension of Emperor Tiberius, the ninth, along with a few other legions, became unhappy with conditions, their pay, the usual complaints of mutineers everywhere. You know what will make them happy? Heaven, which is where they'll be going after their crucifixion. And it was only after the arrival of Drusus, the son of Emperor Tiberius, and the execution of some more ringleaders that things calmed down. In 43 AD, Emperor Claudius decided that the time had come to conquer Britain, something I'm fairly sure he deeply regretted later in the Ninth Legion of Spania was one of the legions taking part in this conquest. However, this appears to be where the luck of the Ninth changed dramatically. In 60 AD, Queen Boudicca, leader of the Celtic Iceni tribe, led an uprising against the Roman army and wiped the floor with the Ninth Legion during the Battle of Camulodunum. Maybe. It was a crushing defeat that wiped out at least half of the Legion and became known as the Massacre of the Ninth. But the Ninth was nothing if not persistent, so it was not the end of them just yet. In 83 AD, Aricola took the Ninth into Scotland to battle the Caledonians. Aricola learned that the Caledonian army intended to divide into three divisions and attack from three fronts, so he did the same to meet their forces. However, the Caledonians changed their plan at the last minute in the most unsportsmanlike manner and hit the Ninth, the weakest of the three legions, with its full force. It was yet another blow for the North. These guys are not really sounding like the Special Forces Navy SEALs that I imagined. They just sound a bit shit. They keep rebelling. They're not happy with their pay. They, uh, th their tactics don't seem particularly good and they can't adjust to like a change in, in strategy. They just seem a bit shit. Maybe someone else killed them because they're like, oh, ninth. I think they're so good. Just crucify them already. From there, the Legion, probably much reduced and demoralized, was sent north to the fort of Eborachim, where they were stationed in at least 108 AD, as proven by the inscription on the stone slab found in York. There are some theories that the Legion was withdrawn to Carlisle or sent to the continent after this, but we'll get to that in a bit. What we do know is that after 108 AD, there is no record of the 9th Legion of Spania anywhere. Other than the Lost Legion, they've also been called one of the unluckiest of legions, and this certainly seems to be the case once they put foot on British soil. They went from fighting alongside Julius Caesar and returning from Spain decorated with a brand new title, to being beaten time and time again on a cold, damp island far from Rome, until finally they simply vanished without a trace. Yeah, being sent to England from, like, Rome. Rome's like, you know, near the Mediterranean, good weather, all this stuff. And this back in the day mattered, because there wasn't like, you said, you know, <laughs> there wasn't so much inside <laughs> and like central heating and all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, where are you going? Oh, you're going north. Oh, that sucks. How far north are to England? Oh, no, it's raining all the time. We're going to get like Roman trench foot again. Today's video is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. 
That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Bombest designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes that you cannot wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. I love tagless. I really love it when you go to the store and you get some Bombas, more importantly, and it doesn't have the tag. Because, I don't know, even when you clip them off, you never get it all, and it's just itching you. And it's almost somehow worse than if there was a full tag. But when there's no tag there in the first place, you don't get that little bit left that itches you. It's perfect. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles made with sweet sweat. sweet wicking sweat wicking yarns which make your feet stay cool while the rest of you works up a sweat they've got no show socks which are designed for comfort while being specially engineered to never fall down so your ankles are free to soak up the sunlight yeah there's nothing worse than those bloody ankle socks where they're like rolling down into your shoe every five minutes it drives me potty none of that nonsense with bombas and their underwear is so breathable and fits so well it feels like you're wearing nothing at all in a good way though plus their t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams soft fabric and the perfect weight so they hang just right and also did you know socks underwear and t-shirts the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelter i didn't know that but i would absolutely guess that they were um so yeah that makes sense because underwear you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> number one priority in being clean that's why bombas donates one for every item you buy go to bombas.com slash decoding and use the code decoding for 20 percent off your first purchase that's b-o-m-b-a-s.com slash decoding and use the code decoding at checkout bombas.com slash decoding code decoding what did a regular legion look like to understand why losing an entire legion is so significant you need to have some idea of how many people we're talking about here I'm going to guess it's about 5,000, Ilza. 50 legates disappearing in the midst of Scotland. It happens. Maybe the Loch Ness Monster was in the mood for Italian. However, when we start talking about a 1,000 or 2,000 well-trained soldiers simply disappearing without a trace, people sit up and take notice. I thought it was more than that. I mean, there was that other figure of 2,000, but I thought that was more Rome when it was small. Like, Rome when it was big was like 5,000 plus. Look, look. It was the first result on Google. I'm going to guess that Ilza has done a little more licking into this than me. <laughs> because I did it for about 30 seconds. There is some disagreement about the actual size of a Roman legion. Here we go, as military reforms were fairly common. I'm not a military historian, so I'm going to try and keep this simple. The Roman legion consisted of 10 cohorts. A cohort was made up of six centuries, and a century consisted of 10 squads. A squad was generally eight men, so a century would be 80 men. That's confusing, isn't it? This is all... Why do I... It's confusing. A cohort would be around 480 men, and a legion would be in the ballpark of 4,800. I've seen estimates for a full legion range from 3,000 to 6,000 men. That means if the 9th legion was at full strength when it vanished, we're talking about 4,000 to 5,000 people simply disappearing, and that's just the soldiers. And the soldiers are usually the smaller part, right? The, The backup and all of the stuff that comes with them is bigger, like people cooking, carrying shields, doing all that Roman sh**. I don't know. That is bigger right most armies have a vast collection of camp followers in order to join a roman army you had to be a bachelor so the camp followers didn't include wives and kids as you would see in later medieval armies oh my god yeah they used to go to (laughs) to war with their families that's so intense like can you imagine it's like where are you going ship it out to baghdad and it's like yeah and my wife and kids come with me and just live on the base (laughs) in baghdad 
Generally, the Roman army was also self-sufficient. Soldiers did their own cooking, and the army included units of engineers and armorers to do construction and repair armor in the field if needed. However, an army, whether marching to war or keeping the peace, will need laborers to do jobs like drive and take care of the animals, carrying the supplies. And where you find a lot of men far from home, you'll find merchants and prostitutes. The Roman army was a disciplined war machine, but it was also human. It's impossible to tell how many camp followers would be around at any given time and what happened to them. They might have disappeared with a legion or if their sense of self-preservation was strong, they'd have run for the hills at the first sign of danger. So, if you consider the size of a legion as well as an unknown number of camp followers that might or might not have been there, we're talking about a couple of thousand people that simply vanished off the historical record. That's a whole lot of people. I reckon it was more. Like, let's just say it was like 5,000 in that legion, and I'll say another 5,000 of like random followers. That's a, that's a lot. It's really a lot. So what happened to the 9th Legion? There are many theories as the final fate of the men of the 9th Legion. While most of these theories make sense to some degree, the major problem is that evidence for all of these theories is flimsy at best. Records get lost, stories are forgotten, and battlefields are buried under layers of modern construction until history is all but lost. Fortunately for decoding the unknown, the loss of the 9th has attracted a lot of academic interest, so theories related to alien abductions and other ghostly activities are probably out there. But I didn't come across any. Brilliant. We don't need to even know. It's like, what happened to the aliens? It's like, any evidence of that? Absolutely none. Why would there be? There's no way. No, of course not. Come on. There never is. An important note on the topic of ghostly activities before we dive into the theories. The ghost legion marching on the Roman on the buried Roman road through the treasurer's house in York is not the ninth legion. It's not any legion, because it's not real. Based on eyewitness accounts, the shape of their shields is wrong because that's the main problem with relying on ghosts instead of facts. This ghost legion was most likely part of an auxiliary unit sent to York in around the 4th century, well after the disappearance of the ninth. If they were the ninth, we could just ask them what happened and solve the mystery. But alas, we are doomed to rely on all scientific methods and to leave the ghost hunting to Simon's favorite history channel. I'm sure History Channel. History Channel would act like Hunting the Ninth would be like a seven series history program on the History Channel. Just a money spinner. Crazy times, History Channel. Crazy times. First theory. Defeated in battle in England during the reign of Emperor Hadrian. This theory has long been a fan favorite and has served as a basis of the popular book The Eagle of the Ninth by Rosemary Sutcliffe, as well as an assortment of other books, movies, and TV shows. In short, this theory states the Ninth Legion of Spania was lost in England during a battle in the time of Emperor Hadrian. That's the guy who decided to build a wall. Considering the Ninth Legion was the most northern and therefore the most exposed of all the legions stationed in England, this theory carries a lot of weight. However, there is one big problem. There's no proof of a major battle taking place. I mean, this does seem like the most likely unless I, I know it's the only one we've really explored so far but it does seem like okay so it's a big army what is the thing that makes armies go away well battle death in battle i think they just came across an overwhelming force were wiped out and uh buried in a grave that no one's ever found and there's no historical record because maybe they're they just didn't want to write it down it's not like the present day it gets lost all the time they could even intentionally been like we're gonna forget about this battle we don't want this battle in the historical record they used to do that damnatio memori is that damnatio memori yeah i think so where it's like they sentence people to being forgotten like they scr they scrub scrub your name from the historical record so no one knows who you are like there were probably really important emperors and shit who just no one heard of has heard about because they were like bad or like did something terrible and they were just removed from the historical record 
which is intense. You see, the thing about large battles is they leave behind evidence, physical artifacts on a battlefield, stories told around campfires and handed down from one generation to the next, written records and accounts. Like one astute commenter noted, if the Britons indeed had such a decisive victory, destroying an entire Roman legion, it's unlikely they would have kept it to themselves. However, nothing like this exists. Does this mean we could just toss this theory out the window? Well, many historians do, but conveniently, I'm not a historian, I'm just a writer. From what I could gather, some of the admin clerks during the reign of Hadrian liked their coffee breaks because there are a lot of gaps in the historical record, exactly, especially around Britain. Luckily for us, historians have been working on this problem for several decades, and while they can't really agree on anything based on what they found, it's possible that there wasn't just one, but two battles in England during Hadrian's reign. There is some mention of the troubles that seem to have started around 115 AD or 116 AD and only ended around 119 AD. Then there is possible war in 120s AD, pinpointing exact dates though were virtually impossible due to those coffee-drinking clerks. But the general consensus appears to be that the Legion disappeared sometime between 118 and 122 AD. While there's no clear indication of a battle in literature, there are a couple of offhand comments that suggest all is not well within Britain. Marcus Fronto, a Roman grammarian and advocate and tutor to future emperor Marcus Aurelius, reminds his students of the problems during Hadrian's reign when he asks, How many soldiers were killed under your grandfather's reign by the Jews and the Britons? In Historia Augusta, a collection of biographies and documents of Roman emperors, they also mention that the Britons could not be kept under control on Hadrian's ascension. This book has also proven to be less than reliable, and that statement is a little vague. The Britons not being kept under control could refer to minor border skirmishes and internal rebellion. It's hardly proof of a full-out war. So, without proper records, how do we know a battle took place? Well, there's a lot of arguments about this, but there are a few things that most historians who believe this theory agree on. The Expedito Britannica, some victory coins, and of course, Hadrian's Wall. We know that in around 122 AD, the Expedito Britannica took place. Now, according to people smarter than me, the vocabulary here is important. Britannica refers to the place, in this case Britain. However, the name of the place was only coupled with the word Expedito if the emperor himself joined in person. Of course, academics wouldn't be academics if people weren't arguing about the exact meaning, but let's stick with this interpretation for now. That means in 122 AD, Hadrian himself arrived in Britain, bringing the entire Sixth Legion, which amounted to 3,000 additional soldiers with him. It seems unlikely that 3,000 additional men would be needed to simply build a wall, or that the emperor would visit England himself to oversee said building. The wall was vital, but you don't rule a territory the size of the Roman Empire without capable construction crews, so the theory is that Hadrian arrived with reinforcements to deal with some sort of crisis, like for example, a highly volatile and unstable province at war with Rome. Yeah. Or like, he heard that his ninth legion was completely destroyed and has just disappeared somewhere, so he sends like another legion and himself up there to see what's going on. That seems really reasonable. The idea of some conflict or troubles being dealt with by Hadrian is also supported by the victory coins. The dates don't quite line up with Hadrian's visit, but if there were two conflicts instead of one, that might explain the discrepancy. So, the theory goes that coins minted by Hadrian in around 119 AD celebrate a victory in Britain, quite possibly the end of the troubles caused by those pesky Britons. The entire history, however, hinges on one man's evaluation of stylistic 
differences in coins minted early in Hadrian's reign and coins minted around 122 AD. Hadrian would often issue coins to announce his visit to a specific province which happened in 122 AD when he visited Britain, and we can't conclusively prove that his visit was due to a war. If this one person's evaluation is wrong, the whole theory falls flat. Personally, I got no problem building scientific theories on quicksand, but this is a bit flimsy even for me. Yeah, again, this is it, it's a lot of speculation for sure, but it's also I mean, we don't have a definitive answer. So we kind of have to look at what's available and be like, well, that one seems to fit. And this it doesn't seem unreasonable to me. It does seem it's a lot of speculation, but it doesn't seem unreasonable. It's not like I was ghosts. Doesn't, you know, you know what I mean? And then there's Hadrian's Wall. Some sources I've read suggest that Hadrian just really wanted peace, and the wall was simply meant to keep trouble out of Roman territory. However, halfway through building, the plan changed. It's generally accepted that the construction of the wall started around 120 AD. Since the Roman army included engineers, it wasn't uncommon for Roman legions to undertake construction projects and excavations show that there were at least three legions working on different sections of the wall. In the second phase of the building, the legions working on the wall did leave some inscriptions, but unfortunately, during the first phase, they didn't. Since the 9th was stationed in York at the time, it's possible that they were one of three legions that started work on the wall. However, after 122 AD, the construction plans of the wall changed. Major garrison forts, along with essentially a really wide and deep ditch on the south side of the wall, were added. Considering Hadrian's visit, it's safe to say that these changes were made after the visit because the military needs of the Roman army in the pro province had changed. You see, building a wall made it harder for the Britons to come south true, but it also made it harder for the Romans to deploy rapidly in a northwards direction, which would be necessary should the Romans wish to avoid fighting a completely defensive war in future, instead of an offensive one. Some theorize that these improved fortifications and fully garrisoned forts were the result of some kind of major crisis, like, say, a war. The loss of an entire legion, even a reduced legion, would certainly explain the extra precautions. Instead of simply keeping the Britons in trouble out of Roman territory, the wall became a fully defensive fortification in the event of yet another war in an unstable province which may or may not have been the original intent. One historian noted an interesting little anomaly. There were an unusually high number of military discharges between 122 and 124 AD. Hadrian would not be discharging and pensioning off troops in the middle of a war, but if it just finished and there didn't seem to be another looming on the horizon, he'd be left with a much bigger army than he needed to keep the provinces in line. Feeding, housing, and arming unnecessary soldiers would be a drain on the economy, so it makes sense to cull the troops just a little bit. Yeah, but that wouldn't explain the disappearance of an entire legion, because they wouldn't. he wouldn't get rid of it all. And then where would they go? I guess they could, like, integrate into the local society and population and stuff and disappear that way. But that feels like there'd be records of that. And then also the whole legion? If we consider the emperor's visit, the coins, and the wall, it seems possible that in around 120 to 122 AD, there was indeed a war in Britain. Some sources also suggest an earlier war here between 115 and 120 AD, which would mean that Hadrian was really not having a good time in Britain. During one of these wars, the Ninth Legion was either completely destroyed or, if not completely wiped out, suffered such high losses that it would have been easier to disband the legion or incorporate what remained of the Ninth into the Sixth than to re build the Ninth Legion. Of course, a humiliating defeat could leave a legion in disgrace, which would also explain why there were no records as to what would happen to what has happened to them. Yeah, if they were like totally humiliated, they'd be like, nope, never existed. That Ninth Legion, damnatio memorae, will strike them from history. And maybe it could be 
kind of thinking now it could be like a combination of these things. Okay, yeah, maybe they were defeated, maybe they were embarrassed, they didn't want that written down in history, also the numbers were reduced because they weren't so needed, maybe they were absorbed into another legion. All of these things can sort of happen, they could all be happening just a little bit. One possible scenario that's been suggested is that the leader of the Caledonian tribes in Scotland contacted the commander of the Ninth, offering peace talks. Knowing that Emperor Hadrian wanted peace in Britain, the commander agreed to meet with the Caledonian representatives and, when the Ninth arrived at the appointed place, they were ambushed and wiped out. Attacked and decimated at the wall or lured into an ambush by the Caledonians, both are great theories, but we still don't have a battlefield. However, it's possible that the Ninth, stationed in York, was a much-reduced Ninth Legion. Exactly. Combination of both. Pottery shards discovered at Schlasco. Oh my god, I have no idea. That's actually in England. <laughs> I've never heard of this place. Why is it so hard? It's, it's, it looks vaguely Welsh or something. There's also the possibility that a detachment of the 9th was on the continent at the time, and considering the heavy losses of the 9th suffered on British soil, they wouldn't have been at full strength. If the native Britons and Caledonians took out a full legion of 4,000 soldiers in one go, there would be a battlefield. But if a reduced legion of a thousand or even two thousand soldiers got whittled away by small skirmishers, only losing a few soldiers at a time for three or four or even five years, there won't be a battlefield. Large battles with unexpected outcomes or revolutionary tactics are chronicled and studied and remembered. Small uprisings and border skirmishes on a cold, wet island far from the glorious battlefields, and those who died fighting in them didn't exactly make the history books. So, this is a great theory, but again, there's no proof, there's no battlefield, no stories of heroic victories on the British side, and no recorded history on the Roman side, which, being the founders of bureaucracy, you'd expect to find. So, until more proof is found or the academics decide to stop politely disagreeing on it, this will remain just a theory. I think this is absolutely bang on. I think it's a combination of these things, and it also just being boring. It's Today it's some mystery, because it's like, what happened to them? In like some big historical context. But during, at the time, it was probably like, well, they lost a few battles, they got absorbed into other things, some of the people left, some got fired, and gradually it, over time, went away, and no one bothered writing down about this, because it's just like, well, it's just not very interesting. I think that's the reality. It's often with these conspiracies and stuff, the, the reality is just the boring answer. And I think we found our boring answer. <laughs> Great YouTube content though, right? The second theory, transferred out of Britain to the continent. This theory doesn't have as many books and movies based on it, but some historians believe that the Ninth Legion did not, in fact, disappear in Britain during a conflict with the Britons. Instead, the Ninth simply transferred from York to the continent to deal with other uprisings and revolts against Rome. In 1956, archaeologists excavating the fort on Hunaberg at Nijmegen in the Netherlands discovered a roof tile with a stamp of the Ninth Legion. Now, it was standard practice for a Roman legion to mark their work. Official products like tiles, and bowls, a bowl carrying the ninth stamp was also found, were stamped by the legion that manufactured them. In the same way, inscriptions marking forts indicate which legions worked and or worked on or rebuilt them, like the inscription in York. This theory goes that if only a detachment of the ninth had been sent to Ninjamen, that it's unlikely they would have stamped tiles and bowls with the mark of the ninth legion, since they probably would have shared the fort with detachments from other legions. That would suggest that the ninth in its entirety was stationed at Ninjamen at some point, and some suggest it was early in the second century. Of course, there's a slight problem. Neither the tile nor the bowl was stamped with a date. Some historians strongly feel that the tile date from around 126 AD, but this is an estimate, so it's impossible to 
say when exactly the 9th was stationed at this particular fort. Is carbon dating not accurate enough to do this? I know it's not perfect, so I guess not. Add to that the fact that detachments of the 9th were in fact fighting Germanic tribes on the Rhine in 80 AD, and it becomes quite possible that this tile dates from the era. Of course, it was only a detachment, so once again would a single detachment or two have stamped tiles and bolts. However, the stamps are not the only evidence of the 9th being stationed in Lower Germany. An altar to Apollo was discovered near the Roman spa of Aquagrani near Aachen. The altar was apparently set up by Lucius Licinius Mesa, Primus Pilus, or Chief Centurion, who had been promoted to the position of Praefectus Castorum prefect of the camp. This is a fairly high rank, so it's unlikely that he would have only served with a detachment, rather he would most likely have been in command of one. However, there are other explanations for the altar. The dedication could have been to celebrate his promotion, or the dedication could have been made when he passed through on his way home after retiring from the legion. A single dedication doth not a legion make. While it's true that Britain was a highly unstable province, Emperor Trajan was more concerned with other parts of his empire, or so. So some historians believe that part of the 9th was sent to the Rhine around 103 or 104 AD to strengthen the frontier and make up for legions moved east in the Dacian War. Of course, it's also possible that instead of a detachment or two, the whole of the 9th was sent to the Rhine and never returned to Britain, which would also explain the tile and bowl and maybe even the altar. Not all theories about about the ninth sense of the continent dispute the idea of conflicts with those pesky Britons. Again, it could just be a combination. Maybe what happens in Britain, like there were those small skirmishes, it was boring, it got whittled down, some people got fired, and then some of them joined another legion and some of them were sent to the continent. I think just lots of small boring things happening just seems way more likely. Some believe that the Ninth was sent to the continent to recover from losses suffered in Britain early in Hadrian's reign. So, in 132 AD, the Ninth was picked up by Julius Severus on his way to Judea, though it's not entirely clear where he picked them up, to deal with the Bar Kokhba revolt, revolt of 132 to 135 AD, where the Ninth was finally destroyed. However, there's no proof that the Ninth served in this war at all. Also, while transfer of a whole legion in time of emergency is not entirely unheard of, it would be very unusual. To me, it also doesn't make sense to transfer an entire legion out of an already unstable province unless they were only moved after the arrival of the 6th with Hadrian in 122 AD. Other theories place the legion's destruction even later than that. Apparently, the 9th were sent east and were finally destroyed by the Parthians in Elegia, Armenia. In 161 AD, Servianus, governor of Cappadocia, moved against the Parthians when they invaded Armenia. It was a poor decision because an entire legion was lost. However, nowhere in history does it state which specific legion was lost, so we have no proof that it was, in fact, the 9th. The only legion that might have been in the region was the 22nd Legion, but like the 9th, what exactly happened to the 22nd Legion is not entirely clear either. So, was one of them lost at Allegia? Well, that's entirely possible. Why is there so much interest in the 9th if there's also like, ah, the 22 also disappeared and we don't really know what happened to them either? Why this fascination with the 9th Legion? I, <laughs> I hate to say it when I'm making this video, but, or this podcast, what is so interesting about this one? I'm not really sure. I'm like, okay, it's a Roman legion that disappeared. Why this endless fascination, people? It's probably, it, it's, it's boring. It's a boring answer. Not that it's not a boring thing. It's just probably boring. It's like when you find out how a magic trick's done. It's like, oh, okay. It's always slightly disappointing. I think the truth is probably slightly disappointing.
There's one argument against the Ninth leaving Britain that's hard to overlook. If the Legion was moved east and destroyed after 108 AD in one of many revolts and wars fought by the Roman Empire, there should have been evidence of them stationed somewhere on the continent in a fort or settlement. If they were lost in a battle big enough to destroy an entire legion, there should be a record of it somewhere. However, there is no more evidence of them on the continent than there is of them in Britain. Third theory. They just kind of left. If the Ninth Legion wasn't destroyed in Britain or transferred to the continent, then what happened to them? Well, I'm glad you asked, because there is a third possibility. Usually, when a legion suffered heavy losses, it would either be reinforced with fresh drafts, or if it was depleted beyond saving, the legion would be disbanded. However, there were usually records and archaeological evidence of some kind to indicate what happened to the legion. This is not the case with the Ninth, it simply vanished. We do know that the Ninth was probably not wiped out to the last man in Scotland. This has been suggested by multiple historians who traced the later careers of some of the legates who served with the Ninth. Legate Sextius Florentius of the Ninth Legion served as the governor of Arabia from 126 to 129, so he probably served in the Ninth before 124 AD. Legate Aemilius Cara served as consul in 144 AD, so he would have served in the Legion between 120 and 124 AD. There are more legates who served in higher positions later in life, so while we don't know what exactly happened to the Legion, there were some survivors. Again, this just points to my boring theory of it was gradually disbanded over time, some people were killed, some went, and they went to a bunch of different places and had careers. Right? So some historians probably in the comments being like, Sam, what are you talking about? That's a ridiculous idea. But it just doesn't seem ridiculous having read what I've read today. There's a theory that holds that just before the building of Hadrian's Wall, there was a steady migration of Britons from Roman-occupied territory north towards Scotland. This was partly due to leadership changes in Britain that were far less lenient toward internal rebellions and the ones who started them. This might be part of the reason why Hadrian decided to build his wall in the first place, in order to prevent anti-Roman Britons infiltrating and attacking Roman territory and to prevent the southern tribes from getting support and reinforcements from Britons outside Roman-occupied Britain. So, one possible explanation for the Ninth disappearing without any records is that they were disbanded in disgrace. Said it right at the beginning, that was a possible option. This could either be due to a humiliating defeat against the Britons that basically wiped them out, or it could be due to mass desertions around 119 AD. The Britons were moving north, getting out of Roman territory. Perhaps the Ninth went with them, but why would such a highly regarded legion just pack up and walk away? In short, we can blame the native Britons. The image of the Roman army is one of a united force with extreme discipline and loyalty. But this was not always the case. At around the same time in Germany, legionnaires had started mingling with the natives. They were sneaking out of camp, probably to visit lovers. And there were many irregularities when it came to camp stores and revenue generated by the locals. The records don't go into great detail on what exactly these irregularities were, but I'm guessing camp stores were disappearing and local products were being bought at inflated prices. And this was not just happening in Germany, the strong evidence that the same thing was happening in Britain and probably in other Roman provinces as well. By 119 AD, the Ninth had been stationed in York for almost 40 years, and many of the men had probably spent most of their lives in Britain, so it's not too far-fetched to believe that they had more sympathy with and possibly loyalty to the local Britons who they saw and mingled with every day. At the same time, there was also some change headed their way, but not the kind of change a soldier chilling among the locals would particularly enjoy. Hadrian had ordered some military reforms, mostly to do with stricter discipline, 
suggesting that discipline might have been a problem. So, when the Britons started moving north to get away from Roman occupation and on the other side of the planned wall, the Ninth simply went with them. In fact, there is even some speculation that the Ninth made up part of the force of Wexford Britons that later invaded Ireland. So, apparently, when a Roman legion goes native, they really go native. Okay, that was another thing. Like, some of them integrated with the local population. It's just lots of little small things, isn't it? And so, with mass desertions weakening the legion, the few remaining legates returned to Rome to continue with their careers, and the legion was disbanded and struck from the record in disgrace. To me, this theory actually makes a lot of sense. Not all Roman soldiers were from Rome. Considering the size of the Roman Empire and the Roman army, it was fairly common practice to draft soldiers from various Roman provinces. These usually made up auxiliary units, but they would also be included within a legion. So it's quite likely that some of the soldiers serving in the 9th at around 119 AD had been drafted from the province and had never even seen Rome. Joining the Roman army meant a steady pay, good pension, and even some legal benefits, but loyalty can't always be bought. Perhaps it's just the writer in me, but I like the idea of the Ninth choosing their loyalty to family, friends, and lovers over loyalty to a paycheck from a distant emperor many of them had never even seen. Yeah, they're there for four decades. <laughs> it's gonna be like, they're just from there now. The Roman army might have considered them a disgraced unit, but I doubt the locals shared that sentiment. And they probably saw themselves, it's like, no, I'm not part of a disgraced Roman unit, I'm a Briton. Like, I joined, I'm, I'm here now. Like, I just, I'm not interested in that old school stuff. Conclusion We do know for a fact that the 9th Legion Espania was not abducted by aliens. Other than that, we don't really have a clue as to what happened to them. Did they die in a battle against some angry Scots? Were they transferred in the Netherlands only to die in battle on the continent? Or did they pack up and leave, abandoning the Roman Empire for what by that time was their own people? Without a battlefield or some crudely carved vandalism exclaiming Claudius of the Ninth was here, it's doubtful that we'll ever know. While the Ninth Legion may be considered the lost legion, and by some the unluckiest of legions, the Ninth didn't need to get themselves into the history books to be remembered. As it turns out, they didn't need great military feats to go down as one of the best-known legions of all time. All they had to do was vanish. Yeah, it seems like Ilza and I are on the same page, and the historians seem to disagree on a bunch of stuff, but I think it's just this combination of all the stuff. There's no big battle. It's just boring. That's why it is. It's just boring. Anyway, this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you're listening to it as a podcast, please do consider leaving a review. That would be fantastic. And I'll see you next time. Bye.